Hey guys, it's Sean Klinger with the Inside Line podcast with Vital Mechs. And today we are talking to Chris Liat. Obviously, his name kind of gives away. He's the founder of Liat Company uh, Neck Braces, and then obviously all the rest of what they make. Um, the other the other day we had Steph from Liat come in and show us the new 2021 gear, and there's all this cool stuff coming out. Their new helmet, but it kind of got me thinking. And I was talking actually at our our 450 shootout a little bit about like how neck braces. They were super popular for a while, and then it seemed like some racers kind of, you know, went away from them. And then some people, you got these younger kids coming up, and some are wearing them, some aren't. So I know from in the past, uh, when I used to work at Dirt Rider, we did a really, really in-depth article with with Chris. And it, I thought it was really interesting to get the kind of the reasons why a neck brace was developed. And I kind of wanted to re introduce um that for for maybe some of the the people that have just started riding and they're like hey i don't know some some people wear them some people don't i don't really know what's going on with those so we have chris here uh thank you very much for being with uh, me today and um maybe we can start with a little bit about we just we've heard the story of why you created a neck brace but maybe start with even before the neck brace your history in medicine and um riding uh, Sean, thanks. Uh, thanks for taking the time out to have a chat to me today, and um, hopefully, I can enlighten you as to as to um, some of the background behind the brace and why I think it's an important piece of safety equipment. So, my history really: I started racing motorcycles when I was sixteen. I've always been a passionate uh, motorcyclist. Um, I I used to race street bikes, so if, if initially short circuit, and then. Um, Super Sport and then uh, Superbike in South Africa. And together with uh, that, I studied medicine, um, which is sometimes a strange combination, somebody who races um, and practices medicine. I studied medicine at the University of Cape Town in South Africa. That's a seven-year course for us. Um, and then typically you, you go off and do something else uh, for a while and gain some experience and try and understand what it is you want to specialize in. So um, I was lucky enough to work in the UK and came back to South Africa and I did uh, general surgery and orthopedics whilst trying to understand what it is I was really passionate about and what I wanted to specialize in. And uh, specialization for us in South Africa is a five-year time frame. Uh, for a surgical speciality, um, and I got to the end of my second year of specialising in neurosurgery um, when I was um, at this racing event witnessed somebody fall off and break their neck and die, uh, and obviously having my young son with me, it, it uh, hit home that I needed to do something about neck injuries if he was going to ride and if uh, I was going to be happy letting him ride. So... It was sort of all the stars that lined up to to um, initiate the work that I did on the neck brace. So for the first six months or so, I was still uh, a resident in neurosurgery um, and started doing research into the causation of, of neck injuries and, and how motorcyclists broke their necks in, in the sport that we love. Um, and it was with that understanding that I developed the neck brace in consultation with um, some rather clever people, biomedical engineers and the like, and spinal surgeons, to come up with a thesis as to how we could mitigate or prevent neck injuries uh, in, 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 in our sport. 
And so really the way the neck brace works is it's an alternative low path technology. It takes uh, energy that would neck and it puts it somewhere else. And it's kind of like a high jump. So if, if the bar is set very high, you can't get over it. Uh, if the bar is set lower, a good percentage of athletes will get over that bar. Um, and if you take the scenario, you fall off a motorcycle and you land on your head, perhaps over the handlebars, and the force goes from the ground to helmets to your skull base to your neck to your torso, but it's actually the weight of your body that is loading your neck. So you land on your head and it's the weight of the body compressing the neck into the helmet that causes the injury with some, some movement in, in, in other directions that normally occurs simultaneously. So how the neck brace really works is it's a platform that mirrors the underside of the helmet. And if you fall off a, a motorcycle and land on your head, the helmet rotates and touches the brace and then disperses that energy to other body structures safely. And all you really need to do is remove 10, 15, 20% of the force that would have gone down the neck uh, to make that high jump pole just not high enough for neck injuries to occur. So we know in, in, uh, in the literature that there are a lot of thresholds for different types of loading mechanisms as to when an injury would occur. For example, if you land straight in your head and you have axial loadings, in other words, the force is going straight up and down your spine, um, it takes about 5,000 newtons or 500 kilograms of loading mm -hmm. to cause a neck fracture. Um, and if you're able to remove 100 kilograms of that loading, uh, the likelihood of a neck injury goes down dramatically. So that's really the thesis of the neck brace. And I think it, uh, it took somebody who was passionate about motorcycling, who witnessed somebody they knew who died of a neck injury and who was seeing neck injuries um, in practice to kind of put the picture together and say, how do we get a collective group of uh, experienced people in, in neck injury mechanisms and biomechanics together to produce a product that can limit neck injuries? Um, and and uh, we've been able to show over the years, both with the EMS study, which looked at 10, almost 10,000 injuries over almost 10 years, as well as all the lab testing we've done, to show that actually you can significantly reduce up to 90% of neck injuries by using a neck brace. How, I mean, with, with certain products, like a, a helmet or a boot, and a new company that comes in and wants to make a better one or whatever, there's there's obviously a um, a template to to go after neck braces like you mentioned earlier is is I mean the only thing out there was maybe neck rolls or kind of foam pads how did you even start with a, a initial design when you really didn't have anything else to look for or you know was there something out there from maybe a different sport that you started with so um, it's a great question. I mean, neck rolls were in existence, but we soon understood after just the initial testing that if you could roll your head over a neck roll, so in other words, your head could extend over the neck roll, the neck roll actually acted as a fulcrum. And in certain uh, circumstances, you could increase neck forces, not decrease them using a neck roll. But one of the things that we typically do at Liet and, and certainly occurred in the beginning with the development of the neck brace, is we don't look at what the industry is doing. Clearly, in this case, I tried to find a neck brace because that would have been the easiest solution for my son is just to find a neck brace and put it on him. Right. Uh, but there wasn't anything in existence. So not only did we have to develop the neck brace, but also develop the testing methodology uh, to show that it worked. Um, as we know, in helmets and, and many other pieces of safety apparel, 
their standards, and the standards have been around for a long time, and thankfully the standards are now evolving. Uh, but there were no standards. So not only did we need to develop the neck brace, but we also did need to develop our own in-house standard, uh, which we use uh, in Europe now um, as, a, as a generalized test standard to determine whether, in fact, the neck brace was A, effective, and B, safe. Right. So, I mean, that seems like it's almost like two whole separate jobs of trying to develop a neck brace, but also trying to develop uh, testing rigs that actually you know, measure the forces that you're, you're trying to mitigate. Absolutely. And, um, I, I, you know, and, and obviously the ideal situation is to have an external body doing uh, the, creating the standard. But when there is no product and, the, and there is no, no uh, history or test results to develop a standard around, it, it falls on the company to, to uh, you know, propose and publish a standard that they believe is, uh, is a good standard, both in terms of efficacy, does it work? And safety, you know, is this product safe or is it going to cause other injuries? So in the ne- instance of the neck brace, the, the initial theory, this alternative load path technology that I've just described, it's a, essentially a platform that mirrors the underside of the helmet and can be worn on the body. Right. So to test the theory, it doesn't need to be ergonomic or fit you properly or be comfortable to ride in or even practical to ride in. It just has to be effective thereafter you've got to understand whether you can make it uh, user-friendly. And that's the kind of process we, we went down is initially decide whether this thing could actually mitigate against injury and secondly, could it be worn safely? Um, and so that was the process that I went through. Okay. Well, I mean, that kind of leads into the next section that I want to talk about is, you know, actually wearing the brace when it, it came out in um, – it was 2007, is that correct? Correct. So when it first came out, I felt like there was a lot of people going, hey, any protection is good protection. So that A lot of people went out and bought them. Uh, a lot of pros had them originally. But then there were some people that kind of said, hey, I, it's uncomfortable for my body type or it might not work for me or whatever. So I'm wondering how was that, you know, what was the initial challenge of, getting the braces out to people and getting people to uh, to wear it, to try it? Yeah, great question. And, and, and it is definitely a, a, an evolution over time. So, I mean, think with a product like this, in the beginning, you have the early adopters. So somebody who just wants protection. Um, it almost doesn't matter, you know, whether it's comfortable, uncomfortable, what color it is, how much it costs. They just want the protection. Thereafter, the, the market becomes uh, a little bit more demanding in terms of comfort, weight, uh, etc. So what, what we try to do from the beginning is publish all our test results um, and, uh, and produce a white paper to show what, we, what steps we've gone through in terms of developing the brace so that we could show it was effective and anybody who was an academic who wanted to study f- the product further had access to this information. So I was very determined in the beginning that if you wanted to know more, that that data, we would just publish everything that we did. And so that's been, uh, our white paper has been available since the beginning of the brace. Uh, we've recently updated it last year. So that blueprint for how the, the product works um, was there right from the beginning. So obviously that takes care of the earlier adopters. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you said, there were a lot of people wearing it uh, initially, and then it dropped off. And now, um, 
it's stabilized and in, and, and in many areas the numbers have actually grown again. Um, and I think the reason for that is, there are a few d different reasons for that. Is One is, there's no doubt that the braces that are on the market now are, are, are lighter weight, more adjustable, more, more ergonomic, more comfortable to wear, uh, more stylish and all of those things. So that obviously allows it to appeal to a, a wider audience, so to speak. Right. Um, but during during the time, and uh, and often I think we're the product of our own uh, success, is that a few things happen. One is that our braces were were actually uh, over engineered in many respects, and, and they don't wear out like a pair of boots or a pair of gloves or a, or a helmet where the comfort liner gets loose after a period of time. And there are no fashion trends right in the early days. A brace was a brace. So um, people just didn't swap out or change their braces. Right. Um, the, sec the second, uh, second thing is that we, we reduced, you know, there have been peaks and troughs over the last 15, 17 years where there have been a lot of people who've had neck injuries and very high-profile riders who've had uh, neck injuries. And then those uh, neck injuries dropped off um, and you didn't see a lot of riders. So... I often think that we were a product of our own success is that we reduced the number of neck injuries so people took the brace off. Because yeah. nobody was telling them that they had to wear the brace, so they took the brace off. And then, very unfortunately, uh, you know, when people go onto forum and make comment, uh, you know, one negative comment, it probably requires 100 positive comments to overcome that negative comment unless it really is outlandish. So people started saying, you know, it breaks your back, it breaks your collarbone, it does all sorts of other things. And both the clinical study with uh, EMS and all our test results using instrumented dummies with collarbones proved that actually you're less likely to break your collarbone because of the shielding effect of the brace with a neck brace on than without. The EMS study showed the 45% reduction in collarbone injuries using a neck brace than without one. So what, how does that work? Well, the helmet rim uh, accounts for some of the collarbone injuries we see. The helmet rim strikes the collarbone. Mm -hmm. But if the collarbone is protected by the neck brace, that one-third of the, the, the different types of uh, causations of collarbone injuries is removed from the equation, and all of a sudden you see less collarbone injuries. But people were going onto the forums say, you know, the neck brace breaks collarbones. Unfortunately, also a lot of trainers discouraged their riders from wearing neck braces. So you had up-and-coming youngsters who've been wearing a brace for a number of years, and they get into going from amateurs to more professional riders, and the trainers say, well, if you want to go fast, you need to take the neck brace off. Well, we know from, uh, from a number of high-profile riders that have used the neck brace in the past, Marvin Musgreen, Trey Kennard, Ryan Sipes, Sean Simpson, and others, that actually you can you can be right at the pinnacle of your of your um, riding career with a neck brace on. Um, and why were the trainers saying to take them off? Well, a lot of a lot of trainers have theories about the way the the biomechanics of the body, um, and and unfortunately some of them are quite wrong, okay. and some of them are very vocal, uh, and they 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 obviously have influence over younger riders. And I think it's it's actually very sad that um, that neck injuries have occurred in young up-and-coming riders as a result of a trainer telling them to take it off. Now, at the end of the day, what does a trainer want and what does an athlete want? I mean, besides safety and quality of life, you want a long career. I mean, if you can wear a product that's going to increase your career, if you just take 
forget the fact that we believe that neck braces reduce brain injuries. Neck braces do reduce neck injuries. Neck braces reduce collarbone injuries. Uh, if you just take collarbone injuries, well, I mean, if you have a collarbone injury during a season, you're out for a race or two. So if you can increase the longevity of your season and, and, and decrease your downtime, why would you not wear a neck brace? And this is where I think it's really unfortunate where, and uh, I'm going to stick my neck out and say, some, some ill-informed um, uh, people on forums and some ill-informed trainers have made comments that are just don't stand up to scientific scrutiny. There's, there's no scientific basis for their comments. But yet, their opinions uh, carry favor with uh, a, a lot of people, and, and so riders take the neck braces off. So I think it's a combination of, uh, of, of these factors that are reduced, that, you know, where we see peaks and troughs of, of riders using neck braces and then taking them off and then pay, putting them back on again. And, and uh, yeah, well, with, without, having a, without having the AMA or the FIM uh, sanction the brace and say, here's a standard. You know, you've got to wear gloves, you've got to wear a wrist protector, you've got to wear goggles, but you don't have to wear a neck brace. Right. Well, so I, unfortunately, I think, uh, or motocrossers might be even more so uh, kind of fashion conscious and monkey see, monkey do when it comes to pros. And if their favorite rider isn't wearing a neck brace, then of course they, they would never think to wear a neck brace. It's kind of unfortunate when it comes to protection like that. But, you know, that kind of leads into something I wanted to hit on was that, you know, some riders have said that either their particular body shape or their riding style prevents them from wearing a neck brace from what they feel is safe. Have you guys looked into that kind of testing with a, a, a bigger torso or a wider chest or, or anything like that, that kind of would lead to people not being as comfortable wearing a neck brace? So if you look at the new braces, I mean, you know, the older braces that weren't adjustable and not as ergonomic, um, there was definitely some riders that were more difficult to brace than others. If you look at the typical physique of a, of, a, of a motocross rider now, there are very, very few riders who can't ride uh, well in a neck brace, extremely few. Obviously, really importantly is, is uh, setting the brace up. So, you know, the helmet to brace gap, which is what we publish on the box and in the, in, in the videos and on our website and as an adjustment, if you make the brace longer, it sits lower on your body and gives you a, a better gap from helmet to brace. So people with shorter necks uh, and, and wider necks um, can choose a neck brace and size it and fit it for them uh, f f on their particular body type and make it um, quite comfortable to wear. A lot of people say, you know, it affects my riding style it, or I can't wear it because of, you know, I've got a very short neck. As, I'm, as I've said, very few riders can't wear a neck brace. Very few riders are affected by wearing a neck brace if it's adjusted correctly. And if it doesn't feel right, you should ask a lip rep to help you size it and adjust it properly. Um, you know, the same goes with boots or knee guards or anything. If you weren't wearing the right size, uh, and it wasn't adjusted correctly, it would be uncomfortable. And in this instance, to get the the, the right helmet to brace gap and and it's sitting comfortably in your chest, there are very, very few riders who can't uh, have it adjusted to to fit them ideally. Another thing I wanted to talk about was was a little bit about, you know, after Liat came out with, with your neck brace, there has been other companies, there are other companies out there, uh, Atlas, Alpine Stars, that have neck braces. Are, are any of these, did anyone come to you? I mean, I don't know. 
companies obviously wouldn't try to collaborate like that. But is it something that's more of independent creation or is it straight up using kind of how you guys set the standard and then these companies coming up with just another version? Um, well, I think it's worse than that. They all copied the product that was patented. <laughs> okay. So we, so we believed uh, right in the beginning that the neck brace needed to be widely available and the technology needed to be widely available. So quite a strange stance right in the beginning. We, we believed that we shouldn't be the only, although we had the patent that essentially said, you know, Liet may make neck braces and nobody else may. Uh, we believe that other people should exist in the market with us uh, so uh, as to uh, increase the coverage of neck braces across the riding population and give them a bit of choice. So we sell by far the majority of neck braces, but the two companies who mentioned are Atlas and Alpine Stars both had to settle for us. It was settled with us because they infringed our intellectual property. Okay. Well, you, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but with... Like, do you think that neck braces should be mandated in professional racing, AMA, Supercross, Motocross, off-road? Because, I mean, helmets are, boots are, obviously. Uh, is this something that you think should be an end? If so, why is this something that has to be worn? So, uh, do I believe it should be mandated? Yes, and I'll, I'll explain the, the, the rationale for my answer. So if you look at the products that are mandated now, I mean, it's boots, roost guards, gloves, um, helmets, goggles are all mandated. If you look at, in medicine, we call the morbidity and the mortality, but the number of people who die or have a significant injury where there is suffering, head and neck injuries are the most common. I mean, or the most dramatic often. So if you've got a product that can reduce neck injuries by 90%, they can reduce collarbone injuries by 45%. And uh, quite, interesting, quite interestingly, there are a number of PhDs uh, in process at the moment uh, looking at the neck brace uh, and a lot of academic, independent academic studies being done. But if you look, and, and I believe that uh, it will soon be, soon be, be uh, demonstrated that um, the neck brace also reduces brain injury. Uh, by reducing head whip and the se second impact to the head in the impact cycle. But if you have a product that reduces those three injury types, why wouldn't you mandate it? Well, is there is there a certain process? I mean, I, I feel like helmets have been around a lot longer and, and boots have been around a lot longer. I mean, is it is it just a, a matter of time or is it do companies have to advocate for their products to be or or at least advocate for the science to be to be taken into account? Um, do you want the politically correct answer or my <laughs> answer? <laughs> so I've, I've been writing to to all the homologation agencies since uh, since the beginning. Um, every single piece of data we generate that's put into a report gets sent to them. In fact, they don't even talk to me anymore um, uh, because um, you know I'm I'm giving them science, a rationale, and statistics, and it would seem that a lot of the decisions are not made solely on that basis. So before I get myself into hot water, um, for example, I've been in in, um, in consultation for probably ten to twelve years with the FIM. You know, they've just recently. Uh, in the process of, of developing a new helmet standard that I think is actually a very good standard. It was consulted with widely with industry and uh, some industry leaders in terms of introducing 
the right impact forces and rotational acceleration into helmet design. And I think it's a very good standard. Why they haven't put together yet, they say they're putting together a task team to look at neck braces. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not overly impressed by the process date, but it's not a lack of um, it's not a lack of trying on our behalf. Um, I, I, I've really we've communicated, we've been very open and honest with our test results. We, we've offered assistance in terms of test design and uh, standard design, um, like uh, other standards. You know, when the helmet industry, when the FIM decides to do a uh, standards for helmets, they consult with the industry. And I'm not saying I'm the only person they should be speaking to. Right. I would imagine I'm probably a person they should include in the group, but not the only one. But it just doesn't seem to happen. And and I think it's very sad because I, I believe one of the the key functions of these homologation agencies and, and, and groups that govern is is the promotion of standard, uh, standards and safety in sport. I mean, if you want to grow a sport, you make it safer. Um, you don't, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you collect the data, you understand the data, and you try and make it safer. You don't um, steer away from the data um, and ignore the facts. So just, there's my, my, my non-political answer. <laughs> right. Well, just playing devil's advocate a little bit. I mean, I know that even here in the U.S., you know, there's, there's kind of this overall don't tell me what to do kind of uh, mentality you know, even if I like neck braces, some racers might say, or even just casual riders might be like, sure, uh, neck braces seem to be good, but you know, I, I don't want to wear one because I don't want to wear them. Don't, don't tell me what to do. What do you say to that kind of mentality of let the riders that agree wear them and the riders that don't agree not wear them? So first of all, I completely and utterly understand that attitude. I mean, I'm a motorcyclist, uh, I mean, and I participate in another, a number of, uh, of dangerous sports, you know, um, mountain biking, aerobatics, and a whole lot of others. <laughs> so I understand the, the, the wanting to be free and, uh, and, and enjoy your sport. But on the other hand, an organizing group or a monitoring group didn't have a standard. Say, for example, there were no standards. You know, would people wear helmets? Goggles, boots, gloves, you, you know, probably not. You probably find some people like in the U.S. where certain states mandate on the street helmet usage and others uh, don't mandate helmet usage. And you look at the, the, the economic costs, let alone the, the cost to lives in the two groups. I mean, there, there's many studies that have been done, uh, big studies that have been done that show how dramatic the numbers are. So, you know, in, in our sport, which we want to keep on growing uh, and make safer so that um, it's not hit by, you know, things like happened in, uh, in, in uh, NFL where, you know, this, this uh, post-traumatic encephalopathy uh, dominated the sport and made, uh, you, you know, changed a, a, a host of, of uh, ways in which the sport is played and protection that's used. You know, unfortunately, I think if you if you want to push a sport and you want to promote a sport, you've got to make the sport safe and you've got to control it. You know, just simple things. Uh, I was involved in rulemaking for a short time in South Africa. We, we looked at accident statistics in motocross in the youth in South Africa, and we just changed the track design. So there were long straights and then jumps. So the the... Um, the, the youngsters were hitting jumps at very high speeds and the tracks were just changed slightly to have shorter straightaways before a jump 
and so that the the speed the jumps were hit at was was lower and it made a dramatic difference to the severity of injuries not not necessarily the numbers that happened but it made a huge impact on the severity of injuries mm-hmm. so you know once again i do believe it is the the governing body's responsibility to make the sport as safe as possible and to prom- promote the sport uh, and uh, you know, if nobody was wearing any protection and you could choose what to wear, well, that's one scenario. But when you, you have something that's been proven to re- reduce injuries, why would you not mit- uh, mandate it, like helmets are or goggles or gloves? Right. So what would you say? I'm kind of in the camp of when neck braces, when the Liat first came out, I tried it on. And it was probably one of those situations that I didn't have it adjusted properly. I was didn't give it enough time to really sink in and I just put it on and said, oh, you know what, I can't look up when I'm off-roading or I, I feel like this is restricting. And then I never gave it a second, a, a second chance in that there has been more adjustability. The designs are more ergonomic now. So what would you say to some of those guys that maybe tried it early and then aren't wearing one now, but it's kind of like, well, I understand the, the science behind it, but it doesn't, it doesn't work for me. Like, where should they go try one on again? Or um, is there a particular brace that would be the best, you know, the lowest profile? Well, I think, um, I think I'll answer that question in two ways. I'd encourage people to go and try it again uh, and find a, uh, somebody who is uh, proficient at fitting a Leah brace, uh, choose the right brace for you and, and set it up for you. And also ride in different riding styles and different preferences. Um, there is adjustability in terms of the brace or a range of braces that will allow you to to have something that works well for you, both in terms of weight, adjustability, heart sits in your chest, helmet to brace gap, how far you can look at, look up. So I would encourage people to go and uh, and give it another try. They have come a long way. Uh, but in, t- in terms of you, Sean, I'm hoping that Todd and Steph are both listening to this program. Yeah. And Steph, phone, <laughs> phone Sean and set up a, a brace fitment for him. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I definitely know that how how light they are now and how much lower profile. Talking about helmet gap, you know, sometimes, obviously, here at Vital, we get a lot of different kinds of helmets. Um, some that stick out to me that seem to be very much the opposite direction of the Liette helmet is like, I think, just one, uh, even the new showy. Some of the ones that have the very aggressive kind of almost flare on the back or flare on the chin part, like... Is there are there helmets that don't seem to really match up with with neck braces as far as what they're in, intended to do, or is a neck brace going to help with all helmets? Well, I think a, a neck brace will help with all helmets, but there's certainly um, some helmets and some manufacturers that, from time to time, will release a helmet, as you say, either very forwards extending uh, chin bar or. Most commonly, um, at the back of the helmet, you know, there, there's a, almost a wing at the back. And uh, it's unfortunate because it's, it's, it's pure styling that gets in, in the way of safety. Um, and there's some very good-looking, well-styled helmets. Um, I think Liet makes a few of them um, that uh, work very well with the neck brace. Many other manufacturers as well. So, um, absolutely. Some, some of the, the helmets that have been uh, introduced uh, recently – are, are sort of almost. I almost think they've been styled to to not work with uh, with, uh, with with a neck brace, whether it's ours or or our competitors. But that is another consideration for sure. So I mean, 
are the ones that I mentioned, or I mean, you don't have to say the brand, but a helmet that has a flare in the back, is that something that is is not necessarily conducive to a good helmet to brace uh, compatibility? So we publish a range of helmets to to brace gap um, that is safe and com- and comfortable to use. Okay. The, the problem is, as you've just described, if you, for example, uh, do enduro riding and you go down very steep embankments and slow and it's technical and you need to look up and you have this flare out the back of the helmet, that it, the, the <clears throat> help, helmet neck brace combination may be very safe, but it may affect your riding style. Okay. And if you can't adjust the brace, then you may need to look at a different helmet. Earlier we were talking about, you know, trying to, to either get this uh, as mandated or not or testing i mean helmets have clear snell dot ece there's there's different testing bodies that can sanction a helmet as uh passing a test or not as of right now there i mean correct me if i'm wrong is there a neck brace testing standard and if there isn't how do we get one of those to test all the different brands so um at the moment uh as you correctly point out for for helmets there are a number of standards mostly related to geographical locations so you know ECE in 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 Europe and then there's Snell and DOT and all all have a slightly different um, take on testing some you know uh, impact attenuation is important other penetration is more important and now thankfully with the newer standards rotational acceleration uh, is becoming important and and uh, we now understand that Rotational is uh, rotational acceleration on the head is very important when you look at uh, traumatic brain injury. Yep. In terms of neck brace standards, the only standards that currently exist are a manufacturer's self-declared standard. So, if I submit uh, a neck brace to, for example, for a CE certificate, I mean I need to ensure that the materials are compliant with CE, that that uh, they're safe practices went into making it that it can be disposed of safely doesn't have harmful or toxic materials so that that is the the ce certification process for neck braces currently we okay. submit it together with the whole test protocol uh in in terms of uh of how it performs and how it performs safely and what are the parameters that should be looked at with neck braces but other manufacturers can submit a um a neck brace that will pass a CE standard, but not that CE standard for their neck brace doesn't talk to the efficacy of the neck brace whatsoever. Unfortunately, as a manufacturer, um, you know you you can jump up and down and promote your 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 white paper and your research and uh, the independent uh, research that's been done and point the the, the homologation agencies at those uh, pieces of research. But the mere fact that it's an independent standard means, means that uh, that uh, independent bodies uh, really should um, should be doing it themselves. Otherwise, it's not independent. Uh, I tell you what would make a great article, Sean, is if you ask the FIM and the AMA for um, w- when they expect to have their standard for neck braces uh, ready. I'd be uh, fascinated to see what yeah. the answer is. Yeah, it seems it's it's kind of a, a kind of a catch twenty two in the fact that. You know, to, to go through all the work in setting up testing, it's hard to get someone else to do that that's independent because it's, I mean, you already did it for your brace, but since you're a manufacturer, it's like, oh, you got skin in the game. Obviously, yours, it's going to make your brace sound really great. I think that's why you have to have a panel. Yeah. And it should be 
one of the people on the panel, but you should have experts in the field that sit in that panel and uh, together agree on what the standard should look like. I mean, if you look at uh, the new FIM standard, uh, there was there was participation of all the manufacturers, helmet manufacturers, uh, for that new standard. Some of them didn't like it because they're not sure how they're going to pass the new standard. But it, it was a consultative process along the way. And so I think that we should be merely one of uh, the number of people that should be on that panel. To, to get people um, maybe more accustomed to neck braces, I mean, for one, what do you see as the, the future of neck braces? Do you, do you think that there could be any other design or technology that would significantly change the neck brace or is it going to be this for the foreseeable future uh the second question is getting like kids wearing neck braces as if they start with a neck brace as a little kid it just becomes normal for them and they're not gonna care if ricky carmichael or anyone else is is wearing it they're gonna wear it because that's what they're used to so um I, I I think let's just take the second part uh, first. If uh, we we find that actually it's it's a, it's a much easier sell to get kids into neck braces than adults. You know, if you've been riding without a neck brace your whole life, it's it's a much more difficult transition to make. If you've just started riding, it's a much easier transition to make. And what's quite sad is that, um, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of the trainers. The kids are very happy wearing the neck brace, and they go all the way through the ranks, uh, and they 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 look at uh, you know the a, a career and and, uh, and get a professional trainer, and all of a sudden they take off a neck brace, um, and and so um, yeah, the, the the easy sell is actually the children and the parents. The more difficult sell is uh, is the trainers and the people who are influencing the industry, um, who are perhaps not as well informed as they should be. In terms of the design of neck braces, um, I think you'll see some tweaks to the design, but I, uh, I, I believe for now neck braces being a platform that mirrors the underside of a helmet um, are probably going to not change dramatically uh, in the near future. So one, one of the ways of describing how a neck brace works is if you look at an airbag in a car and the, the seat rest or the headrest in a car, um, what Volvo were very successful at doing in the in the beginning is obviously building airbags that worked well in class. But what they need to do is, is cocoon the occupant between the airbag that was deploying and ensuring that the, the occupant didn't go over the, the back of the seat. All the head extend over the seat. So the head needed to be caught by the headrest uh, as the airbag deploys. And that was the, what they called a self-aligning head restraint. And that is essentially what a neck brace is. It's around your neck, it shadows the underside of your helmet, and it's always in the right place at the right time. So I, I believe in terms of neck braces, they, uh, they, they won't change dramatically, and we've looked at some very far-out designs, but then you get back to the problem with the usability. So I don't believe there's going to be dramatic changes in the near future. Do I know that Alpine Stars has, for their, for their roadside, has a, a leather suit that has an uh, airbag system, that deploys and basically that's not necessarily a, a neck brace thing but it's just a whole bodysuit thing has liat or or any other company that you know of is this a, a technology that could be scaled down lightened up something that uh motocross guys could wear under a jersey that would 
be kind of best of both worlds. Just sit there uninflated while you ride. You don't feel it. You don't notice it. If in the case of a crash, it could pop open and maybe protect uh, your neck or your chest. Um, do you have another hour? <laughs> <laughs> right. So let me just give you the, the, the shorter version answer as I can. Um, airbag jackets have been around for a very long time. Up on Stars makes it. Uh, Dainese makes it. Uh, there are a lot of equestrian manufacturers that make make it. There's something called the Hofding, which they use in bicycle sports or, or commuting uh, in um, in Holland. So this technology has been around for a very long time, but there are some significant problems with the technology, um, and and most of it goes around to how it's deployed. Okay. Um, if you look at what the the Alpine Stars uh, Tech Air and the uh, Dainese system they use in uh, World Superbikes and MotoGP that are worn underneath their jackets, um, they aren't neck protection; they are torso protection. Okay. I recently wrote to the FIM and I asked them what their injury statistics looked like with and without an airbag. Um, I am not sure whether they're collecting any of the data, but they didn't answer me. And I, if, if you look at the recent, this season's MotoGP, and you look at the number of utter, upper torso injuries, rib uh, and collarbone and upper limb injuries with this, uh, these uh, inflation devices on, um, just circumspect examination of what's going on, uh, there doesn't seem like there's a reduction in, in up bag on. I, I, I would imagine there are certain categories of injuries, um, like a very high deceleration if the motorcycle hits you in the chest, for example, where it would be a good idea, although hard and soft cell uh, protectors would do the same. So I, I'm not convinced that they are as effective as, as everybody believes, and I think maybe that's why uh, after 20 years, the sales volumes are very, very low. Also, mm. these devices are incredibly expensive. Um, I think uh, an Alpine SARS uh, air vest uh, probably retails for about 700 euros. Um, it, it's not a cheap device. But the, one of the biggest problems is when to set it off and when not to set it off. So if you're doing motocross and you have a big jar, you sort of, you know, you, you leave the seat and hit the seat or you bump, you make contact with another rider or you case a jump and then the airbag deploys. Uh, the risk of falling off because your airbag's now deployed and you can't ride properly anymore um, is significant. Right. So d making sure that it goes off when it's supposed to go off and not go off when it isn't supposed to go off. So uh, recently, I think it was Vinales, who after the race slapped his petrol tank and his airbag deployed. Uh, he, he was just fist pumping because of his result and the airbag deployed. That's not really the ideal uh, situation. Um, so there are two mechanisms that are used currently. One is where you're physically connected to the motorcycle or the horse or, or something else. And if you fall off, it deploys. Um, and there, of course, you're certain that you've, you've now left the vehicle and, and it's deployed. Uh, but most of the devices that you see now in, in um, street racing are deployed by using a three-axis accelerometer and gyroscope and an algorithm. The yeah, algorithm yeah. says this looks like an accident and therefore I should deploy. Once it's deployed, you now have this deployed airbag and then it, you know, if, you, if you, for example, were to uh, have an accident in motocross, it deployed at the wrong time and may really affect your riding or cause an accident. 
if you fall off, uh, it deploys, and then you're able to get back on the motorcycle, start and get back into the race again, you now have no protection because it's not going to recharge itself. I could wax on lyrical for another hour about airbags. Um, You know, equestrian sports, um, they, they are effective in terms of being kicked in the chest by a horse or a horse rolling over you. The big problem, of course, is that if you're riding with 10 other riders around you at a competition and an airbag goes off, well, there are probably 10 other accidents about to happen because the horses get such a fright. It's so loud when the airbag deploys um, that, uh, you know, the horses typically scatter. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, airbags have been around for a while. Um, it's a very interesting technology, something I've looked at many, many, many times and scratched my head over. Yeah. But I believe there are significant downsides to its use. Okay. Um, I think I think my last question is, obviously, this is the neck brace is sitting on your chest and your back, and uh, there might be some guys out there that, that you know, have a chest protector they really like. Um, it might be old. It might not be, you know, have, have the right cutout for a, a neck brace to rest. Is that kind of a deal breaker for wearing a neck brace um, if you had to choose between a chest protector and neck brace that didn't match up, or is it, you know, now the latest generation of neck braces can work with pretty much any chest protector? I think, you know, right in the beginning when we started, it was probably our biggest single headache is that you couldn't get the neck brace to integrate with the chest protector properly. You know, you'd have to modify one of them extensively, uh, and and uh, and that was not necessarily a good idea. So. Um, I, I think it's more the case that, that the, the chest protectors have evolved. So either a neck brace can be worn underneath a chest protector, on top of a chest protector, and the chest protectors are more, either have cutouts available, or recesses available, or adjustment that allows you to wear the chest protector over a neck brace. So I think it's more an evolution over the last 15 years of, uh, of chest protectors. And I think you'd have to have quite an old chest protector now uh, for it not to work well with a neck brace. Right. Well, unless there's anything else that you want to add, um, that's all the list of questions that I have. Um, I think I'm probably going to uh, have absorbed your attention span, so I'm I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, grateful for this opportunity to share my thoughts and um, and my passion behind the neck brace and safety in general. Um, and uh, yeah, look forward to chatting to you again and. Uh, and uh, hopefully Steph will come up and, and see you soon and fit, fit you with the uh, latest generation neck brace. Yeah, I guess I guess this whole conversation was is almost that I'm in that same camp that I'm more neck brace curious again just because of <clears throat> I know how much they've changed and I know that there's a lot of guys out there in my same situation. They heard the early anecdotes of some writers saying, hey, it doesn't necessarily work with me and they that's all they need to hear and then they've kind of written it off and I'm I'm in, you know, I'm 34, uh, you know, plan to have kids pretty soon. And, and I'm thinking about my longevity of riding and, and what I want to do. And I'm looking at a few of my friends that still wear neck braces. And I'm like, yeah, I need to give this another uh, another chance and give it a go. And I think there's a lot of other people out there that need to kind of be reminded of that these neck braces, uh, what they're intended to do and that, you know, they're still available and there's there's better versions now than there ever was before so uh thank you for your time in in fact one last uh, passing comment there is that actually the biggest group if you look at people who wear a neck brace people who who won't ever wear a neck brace and people who are undecided probably the biggest group is the undecided 
So um, there's still there's still scope to change people's minds, and I think um, yeah, thanks for this opportunity and uh, allowing me to tr- to try and change your mind. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Um, I really appreciate the time today, and um, that's all we have. So thanks for listening. Thanks, guys.